It's time for counterculture. Are you tired of how divided we are? Let's find the peacemakers. Think everyone is mean and selfish? Let's talk to those who are helping us all be more loving and caring. Think our culture is going downhill? Let's meet those who are helping us flourish. And now your host, Jonathan Sanborn. Well, hello, everyone. So thank you so much for tuning in. This is episode six of Counterculture. Super excited to have you tuning in. It's, it's the hot time of year. We're sweating it out. Life's crazy. The world seems to be falling apart. Yet God gives us principles and wants us to both have peace in our hearts and to be instruments of peace in our world. And so in a world that's so divided, being a peacemaker is a revolutionary act. And so I've been wanting to find the peacemakers around our country, well, around our city and around our country, who are stepping into that space uh, where we see great divides. And so when I first thought about the show, I did not want to do a political show. Uh, I wanted to do kind of cross uh, different issues and, and, and a bunch of different things, and I will continue to do that. Yet politics keeps coming up because we are a very divided politically political culture. Uh, we view different things, and oftentimes we even look at the world through our political lenses. And so if I'm going to talk about peacemaking and find the peacemakers, we're going to have to some talk about these glasses that we wear that, that politicize everything the way, and, and how we view uh, events. I think of the, the image that you've seen probably of the old lady and the young lady that it's actually the same picture and given – who you are or what you, you which one do you see first? Do you see the old lady or the young? But they're both in there. So oftentimes we see the world, whether it's uh, racism or uh, culture like Hollywood or even the poor, oftentimes we can put our political glasses on and we'll, we'll interpret everything through that, even more so than our own experiences. So we want to take a look at those glasses today. And so I'm very fortunate to have with me David Drum, and he is uh, a friend of mine for the last number of years, and uh, he's a pastor and author. He's from, calling in from Tucson today. He's a Tucson native, uh, and he served for 20 years as pastor of Community of Hope Lutheran Church, and he also served where I got to know him as the, as the church domain director for, for Tucson, and he worked with churches and pastors all through the city to bring them together and work work united together, some wonderful work going on, even to this day, uh, with Fort Tucson in, in Pima County. So really appreciate that work. David has been married to his beautiful wife, Valerie, for 32 years. Wait, it says beautiful wife, Valerie. I, it sounds weird for me to say that. But yeah, I get Sure. I think that's probably objective. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they have four children. That's objective. And one grandchild, and that's objective. So it's all objective. Um, so and uh, Dave served as the president for a Tucson Association of Evangelicals and the Tucson Ministry Fellowship, and the author of three books and um, and founded J Seventeen Ministries, which is knowing the, the the based on the book of John seventeen in the Bible is to unite the body of Christ for a divided world. Wow, that sounds like an important role and a necessary role, and definitely has my attention. And his latest book, is, and what we're going to be talking about today, is called Peace Talks, The Good News of Jesus in a Donkey-Elephant War. Welcome, David. 
Thank you so much, Jonathan. It's great to be with you. Oh, I'm so glad. Is everything going okay in Tucson today? It's just going swimmingly. Okay. Um, the, the, the swimmingly. The burning. The, uh, the fires the are burning. burning. Yeah. <laughs> Other than that, everything is great. Yeah, so. just pro- protests, fires, global pandemic, good times, good times in Tucson. Yeah. <laughs> so. My goodness. So, but in the middle of that, and so you've you've had this heart for like a long time for yes. peacemaking. And if if actually, if you don't mind, why why how has this started? Where does this go back to? In who you are, uh, why why is this issue so important to you? Well, honestly, it goes back to my childhood um, because when I was in high school. My mom was on staff at a Lutheran church, and my dad was on staff at a Baptist church. <laughs> so oh. um, so uh, church relations meant the conversation at the dinner table. So um, <laughs> my, my love for peace um, is deeply rooted and deeply personal. So, goes back a long way. So you had to kind of kind of keep your mouth shut uh, at the dinner table and just say, pass the peas? Is that how it works? Well, <laughs> um, yeah. It, it, every, uh, every family has its challenges, and we certainly had ours. But I learned early on to love the whole body of Christ, not just one part of it. And um, and I'm grateful for that and uh, tried to put that into practice in the way that I led the church that I was pastor of. And then God has made it possible for that to be my full-time job for the last nine years. Mm. So I love what I get to do. That's fantastic. So it goes back to your childhood, and then you've probably seen a lot of division in the church and division in your city yep. and obviously division yep. in the world. Yep. So absolutely on all fronts. But yet you've decided not to just be angry or just kind of mind your own business. You've actually decided to step into this space. And now you've written a book, uh, which looks, which is absolutely fascinating called Peace Talks, the good news of Jesus in a donkey elephant war. So why'd you, why, why, why another book? Book in particular, um, if you had told me even two or three years ago, that I was going to write a book with politics as the backdrop, <laughs> I would have laughed you yeah. out of the room. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I have both a personal and a professional reason for writing it. Um, my family, and I know I'm not alone, um, was one that would be just rocked by political discussions, particularly with my millennial and Gen Y and Gen Z kids. Um where there there literally would be tears and screaming and doors slamming wow. and all the rest. Um, and so uh, personally, we had to learn as a family how to get better at that. We all love each other, but when it came to politics, man, you couldn't tell. Um, huh. So uh, the principles that I've talked about in the book um, were hard earned. We we had to learn how to apply them as a family. So there's a very personal reason for writing it. Um, then uh, I've just been stunned over the years to see people who are I, I love and respect very mature people, but man, 
you throw the topic of politics in the room, and it's like red meat for sharks. <laughs> and, uh, That's right. It, it just, um, it's like, I know you people love Jesus, but you sure can't tell by the way that we're talking right. to each other or about each other, not to each other at all. That's part of the problem. So there's a professional reason for it as well. Sure. Um, John, John 17 has to apply to all realms of life. Jesus mm. was not just talking about a spiritual compartment. He doesn't even believe in a spiritual compartment. So let's take his prayer and apply it to where we need it the worst and the most. Right. So that's the reason. You can't just gl- put that nice little plaque up on your wall and think you've covered, got it covered. But this is really where the rubber meets the road. And it starts in your home, doesn't it? It sure does. Yep. So, as we have often said, peacemaking starts in the home, and uh, but it also we need it more than ever as a society. So, how did we get so divided as a country? Well, in the book, I go into seven different factors that have led our current division. Um, we take a look at psychology and sociology and. Um, I, I find it fascinating that there have actually been studies that uh, they can hook people up to an MRI and determine that when you hit a political topic, the part of the brain that's accessed is the fight-or-flight part of the brain, mm. more so than non-political topics. Isn't that interesting? Interesting. So no wonder so many of us choose one of those two options, fight or flight, when it comes to politics, um, that's literally the part of our brain that's being um, uh, accessed so, when, when you hit closely held political topics. So, And I'm so, guessing uh, that marketers know this, or like, like the people oh, who make the algorithms for Facebook and YouTube, yep. they'll put in their title something that'll get, your, get that part of the brain active, which is the most likely to... <laughs> activate that. And so they'll say Shapiro owns the libs and the, you know, or something like that. And that'll get you going, right? Absolutely. And that's two more of the, is is technology um, and social media, and then um, media as a whole. um, uh, A term I'd never heard before, um, but so accurate. Um, Media used to broadcast and now it very intentionally narrow casts. Narrow cast. It, Ooh, I like that. It picks a slice of the audience and and covers topics that will be of interest to that slice. And it's intentional. It's very um, it's very effective for advertisers because they're advertising to a known market and they can craft all their advertising that way. It's very lucrative for entertainment and um, financial purposes, but it it uh, just contributes to the echo chambers that we live in, where we tend to only hear voices sound like our own. Right. And so you put all those factors together, and that's just four of them. Um, but that in and of itself is a huge contributor to how we got in such a mess. That makes sense. And this mess is obviously... People call it a, a, you know, it's a, a. You mentioned the title. It's a war, uh, you know, the, a donkey elephant war. And yep. with every war, there are casualties. And there's both the, the 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 soldiers fighting in the war that battle each other, 
but there's actually a lot more people who are just watching who are around it. The 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 innocent bystanders of war who get the shrapnel, or they want yeah. they do everything yep. they can to avoid it. And I, sometimes I feel like I'm more in that third camp, where I just feel like I, I see people beating each other up, and I don't really want a part of it. Oh, I think that's very common that we choose to just opt out. And so part of what I'm hoping can happen with peace talks is that people of peace can find their voice again. And um, the, God knows the world needs us to be peacemakers in a world like this. And so we've got to find our voice and find effective and helpful ways to enter into the minefields of the donkey elephant war, but not be part of the problem, but instead be part of the solution. Mm. And people look at the church too to see what we're, how are we participating in this war? What role do we play? And if we are always on one side of the war, uh, and they are maybe a innocent bystander, or they're on they see themselves on the other side, they won't even want to listen to what we have to say, right? Well, and I, that's part of the, why I'm both in, <laughs> encouraged and discouraged. I mean, how many that will wade in political topics, but do it in such a way that creates more dialogue between both sides of the aisle? Um, mm. The answer is not many. Um, they either stay away from political topics altogether or they pick a side and then just become part of the whole um, talking points for that party's uh, politics. And it's very unusual to find churches, in my experience at least, that have learned how to do this well. And yet, we almost every church has people who love Jesus who are on both sides of the aisle. They may be in hiding if the church right a well staked out political position they're probably in hiding and nobody knows that they're actually one of them the other kind um whatever kind that is but at, almost every church has them and we already know and love these people so we've got to reverse what has been true forever where it says that dinner time combo conversation can never include politics or religion. Right. I think Jesus would say, actually, that's dead wrong. Yeah. Um, that's exactly the place where we need to apply our faith and talk about the things happening around us, because we already love each other. Hmm. We're already vested in each other. Yes. Um, so the church is needs to be part of the solution and can be but we've, we've got to recognize the problem in the first place. Oh, that's a great observation. So I, are, you, are you familiar with Michael Ware by any chance? I think I'm pronouncing I'm his not. name right. He was the faith liaison with the Obama administration for his White House. And so I, was, I, w- I had a similar position with the state of Arizona, and I was, became very interested okay. in his work, evangelical Christian, working for the Obama administration. So that might provoke a lot of, you know, reaction to someone listening to hearing that. But here's a brother in Christ who uh, was oftentimes trying to reach out across the aisle. And he said, I could not believe (laughs) what he had to do. He said, I could not believe what I was facing and hearing from my fellow believers in Christ. 
and uh, he goes, maybe we've made this into something that it's not meant to play in our hearts. And that stuck yeah. with me. It's like maybe it says something about us. And so part of me wants – like I said, I mean I guess part of me wants to withdraw and hide from this. And as a former pastor, I often didn't – I wanted to avoid certain topics for that very reason. But also yeah. at the same point, I'm hearing what you're saying is that we need to also be not afraid to step into this, right? Exactly. Well, there's um, two of the other factors that I go into, and I go into those in greater depth. I've given a chapter to each of them. Um, one is a, a biblical worldview issue, mm. which um, is a both-and worldview more often than not. We in the West, um, the Western Hemisphere, almost always default to either-or. Um, and so we're very individualistic and a very either-or type of a mindset. Mm. But more often than not, the Bible is a both-and mindset. Mm. God is um, full of love and full of justice. Yes, We turn those into either-or, either or. But, the, but the Bible doesn't. <laughs> the Bible right. holds on to both of them. Um, Jesus is fully God and fully human. It's not one or the other, it's both. Right. And we could go on and on. Jesus came full of grace and truth, not one or the other, but both. And right. so we could cite example after example after example. But we've, we've got to recognize that our default in the West is to think in terms of either or, but the biblical worldview is a both and worldview. So in the book, I talk about, um, I go into some detail on three different favorite topics from each political party that there's tons of biblical support for. Mm. So we've got to start thinking about both ends. You just shouldn't have to choose between whether you're passionate about the life of the unborn or passionate about the life of the immigrant. You shouldn't have to choose between those two. Right, right. Um, but politically, we do in a present world. Right. Um, and so um, so I go into some detail about that. And then the other political or the other theological issue is just the one of identity. Um, we, uh, we tend to put way too much of our identity in our political party. Mm. And so then we just get... Uh, tweaked in right. ways that we, we take it personal when there's nothing personal about it, but it's an indicator that we've um, we've way over-identified with our favorite mammal, and uh, that's got to <laughs> change. That's right. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Counterculture with Jonathan Sanborn, where we talk with the peacemakers and bridge builders in our society, um, and especially here locally. We're talking on the on the line with uh, Dave Drum from Tucson, talking about his most recent book, The Good News in a Donkey-Elephant War. You, talk, you brought up the question of identity, and I think that's really important that we so see ourselves in a political framework. But yet God doesn't – looking at the world and the Christians scattered around the world, what do you do with 100 million of God's children in China? Or what do you do with the fastest growing church in the world is in Iran? What, how do they yeah. fit into the blue and red state mentality? <laughs> you know, it, 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 it kind of breaks it down, doesn't it? <laughs> It sure does. Um, my guess is they're very confused when they look at America. Yeah, that's um, right. the, the only continent that I have, and it's very limited experience, but I've been to Africa a couple of times and have a number of 
um, refugee friends that I've gotten close to from Africa. And um, consistently, I just hear a, a state of confusion um, when when they think about America and particularly American politics, mm-hmm. um, because their perception is that we're a Christian nation and they don't understand how we behave. Um, right. For good reason, because there's no justification for a lot of the ways that we act. There right. isn't any justification for it. So oh. they notice that and are, are pretty confused by it. Oh, it's, in my it's absolutely, you know, having lived overseas for a number of years, and I can absolutely tell you that's the case. It's, it's, they just like, what are you doing? Is that is that what being a Christian is? Is that particular party or on both sides or, or, or no. how the people are yelling? And yeah, it is. And some And oftentimes there's a... They only see the worst of all of that, of course, because of media. But there's still there's some truth to what they're seeing, and it's not always good. But it's for, it's a good question to ask. So great observation. So oh, just on a, a little aside, uh, your son wrote a chapter in the book. How did that happen, yeah. and what was that like? Well, that was the coolest thing ever. So I said when I wrote the book that I was. Uh, in many respects, writing it for my family. I had no idea that God wanted it to be partially written by my family Mm. as well. So I had taken my oldest son, who just turned 30 a couple months ago, um, to a basketball game, Go Cats, University of Arizona, all the way. Thank you very much. So I had uh, (laughs) taken him to a basketball game last fall, and he was very intrigued by the book. Now, he and I are very different spiritually. We're very different politically. Um, and he certainly had been part of some of these family conversations. But uh, he said at that basketball game, he said, Dad, isn't, isn't the conversation that you and I are having right now one of the points that you're trying to get across in the book? that people who are very different can actually learn how to talk Mm. respectfully to each other. Mm. I think I'm supposed to help you write the book. Wow. How'd you take that? that Well, I said, let's talk. Um, I was thrilled beyond belief. I've always wanted to partner with him. Mm. Um, He's a computer programmer. He works for an affiliate of NASA um, absolutely brilliant guy. And since the last presidential election in 2016, he has studied this stuff um, pretty devotedly. So um, he wrote the, the uh, chapter on technology and media, sociology, um, some of the psychology parts of the book. He, uh, he addressed some of that he introduced me to one of the key authors that I read. Um, I introduced him to one that he wasn't familiar with. And so it was just a sweet partnership. Not only did he write the book, but he provided critical feedback or for, he wrote one chapter, but he provided good feedback for the rest of the book as well. So the whole book is a lot stronger because of him. Oh, absolutely. um, And it's, it's an embodiment of actually what you're trying to talk about, isn't it? Working with differences in every way. Well, that speaks yeah. well of you, and that's that's really exciting to hear. Um, so I feel like there's just so – we barely got into the content of this, and I really want to give our listeners something really practical that they can do. So I'm going to have you back next week, and we're going to hear yeah. more uh, like what we can do to have uh, conversations that are – that we can, we're not afraid to be political, but how do we as 
as followers of Jesus, engage in the space in a new way with the right attitude that is productive. And maybe it isn't going to solve every problem or get everyone to agree with us, but how we can have more productive conversations. How does that sound? Amen. Will you, you'll that join me next great. week? I would love to come back. Love to do that. Well, yeah. that's so. We we've been talking with David Drum this episode, the author of Peace Talks: The Good News in a Donkey Elephant War. It's now available on. Is it on Amazon? It is absolutely. So look up David Drum and buy his book. Thank you, David, for joining us. You've been it's been wonderful to talk with you. Looking forward to hearing from you next week. Sounds great. Thank you for listening today. Counterculture is made possible by Care Portal, helping local churches help children and families in crisis. Sign up you and your church today at careportal.org.